Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. We are live on Us Property Investors. We bring the big names and we have the big negotiating and big buying fun. I mixed it up. I don't think it works. But how are you going, Scotty? Mate, I'm good. I'm very happy to see your two friendly faces. Thanks for having me back on the show. You're welcome. And it's been too long. It's been too long for, for me, at least. I feel like I haven't seen yeah, you. You were the host before. He was the host not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, like I was going to almost ask this you know, when you guys sent me the email again, are you actually going to turn up this time, Jeff, and be on there? Otherwise, it's just me and Joey again. Which is, yeah. which is fine. I mean, we nailed it, didn't we, Joe? Of course. Of course. Of yeah. course. How are you going, Joe? What's happening, man? You, you I'm good, mate. Crush, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm no flat chat. Super busy, having a good time. What about you, mate? What's cracking on with you? Feeling fresh, feeling ready. Aussies won the cricket last night. So happy days, 12 2020. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. So everything is going swimmingly. Um, good. But yeah, for people live, uh, fr- drop the comments, throw us a, throw us a question. Because Scott absolutely brings, he's one of our most popular guests and he, we had over 100 people register. So in a cooling market, that is fantastic. So let's, let's show Scotty some love and, and smash that like button. And if you're on YouTube, do the comments. So shall we, shall we get into the quotes of the week, Joe? Shall we? I think we should. I think we absolutely yeah. should. Scotty Agate, what is your quote of the week? It's a funny story. Mine is very relevant to me at the moment because, well, I'll tell you the quote first. You got to work me. hard. What's that? No, okay. Yeah, my quote is: "You got to work hard in the dark to shine in the light." And it's very relevant to me at the moment because we're doing a lot of work in the back as we scale our business, and we're not getting a lot of like you know front end love at the moment. But it's going to come um, down the line. So we're working away in the dark, baby. That was from Kobe Bryant as well, by the way. Yeah, Rest in yeah peace. I was going to be like, I was going to say this, that reminds me of a Kobe quote, but I didn't, couldn't quite put my finger on it. But that was it. That was Black, Kobe. Black yeah. Mamba. Was <laughs> yeah. he um, was he better than Jordan? You guys think, or you, you follow basketball much, Scotty, or not really? Um, no, I mean, I'm, no, I would say no. I, I'm a fan, but I, I don't mm. follow it closely. Yeah, I'm an NRL fan, mate, and Arsenal soccer team. Oh, the Gunners! They're going right at the moment. The Gunners are going real good. They're going to go far this year. Gunner, yep. Gunner. Gunner, Gunner. Should have, would have, could have, Gunner. Exactly. What about you, Jeff? What is your quote of the week, mate? I want to go last, but uh, okay. All right. I'll go, I'll go next up. So mine's, mine's a bit long-winded. So it's the ultimate measure of man or person in, the, in 2022 is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at, to- at times of challenge and controversy, which is Martin Luther King Jr., so it, we're we're sort of bringing out the sort of the yeah the, the this African American sort of can you can you continue it Joe? But no, I I think that that one, given that we're seeing an inflation today came in seven point three percent, the highest in thirty five years in Australia. So I mean, who knows what that gonna is going to mean for next Tuesday Melbourne Cup Day, the RBA. But I think it's already priced in at 0.25. But yeah, so who knows? There's likely to be more rate increases. So what does that mean? And and does that mean bargains? We're going to talk to Scott about that. But that is my quotes. What about Good you, one. Joe? Cracking quotes. My quote of the week is: "Opportunity is bit missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like hard work." Um, that one is done by Mr. Thomas Edison, 
And I feel like that that this is actually a great point for, you know, in this type of market, like there are some good properties that, that may need a little bit of work that you can dress up um, that have an extra bit of bargaining power because they're not as the prettiest thing. They're not the best thing on the market um, because, you know, as you, we might cover off, like what I'm seeing out there is um, good stuff is still going. The It's the ugly stuff that is staying on the market a little bit longer. Um, but so take a dump, turn them into Trump's. Nice. <laughs> from rock yes. to hot. There you go. What else yeah. you How much energy coming from Scott? I've got so go. many of these from being an agent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can turn any like pile of dog turd into um, you know a really great buying opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit of work. Yeah. Well. This session, what are we going to be covering off today? We've got Scotty Agate from Hello House, and we are going to be talking all about how to negotiate, how to, this changing market, because that is what we are in. It used to be able, you could just throw a dart at a dartboard and you would hit the middle no matter what in Australia. All of a sudden, everything in Australia is not a good opportunity. It is now shrunken back down into the bullseye. So how do you find those bullseye opportunities and how do you negotiate those bullseye opportunities and that's what we're going to be covering today so before we introduce the man the myth the legend we have a fantastic ad created just for this man so let's rock with that there's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent it's a scary thought but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property? So you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up. Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course which is a step-by-step -step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. There we go, and and I must say, I'm I'm loving your your Wednesday sort of sessions you do with with um. It's not Sam, it's uh, it's the Drew. Drew, yeah, Sam and Sam Drew and Scotty. Now, I'm I'm really enjoying like you 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 seem to be able to churn out content left, right, and center. So I I've caught caught bits and pieces, but it's yeah, it's you're adding heaps of value in in that particular thing. I'm not I'm not just say I wouldn't say that if if I didn't actually mean it. So thank you, good, good thank you. for that. So who who is who is Scotty Agate? Last time I, I wrote twenty years. I think it's actually closer to. I don't mean to age you, Scott, but is it twenty five years? Yeah, nearly thirty. So geez, I was going to say I said twenty five years plus experience as a leading sort of property. I'd, I'd say real estate agent, property negotiator, just uh, franchise owner, everything. You've overseen thousands. Is it tens of thousands now, or is it only still thousands of property transactions? I don't know. I just only. gave up. 
Yeah, counting over 3,000. <laughs> Millions. Uh, Let's say hundreds yeah, of thousands. There's, there's lots, lots of deals. So, yeah, lots of experience. And, yeah, it's, I think I, the, the first uh, introduction to me was um, being a real estate agent for school, school, work, school work experience. So age 14 or 15, wow. whatever age that was. Yeah. Crazy. So that's the start wow. of it. Did you fall into it? Like, did you, did real estate choose you or do you, were you like it's fish and chip shop um, or real estate agent or, you know, the bakery, which one? I'll go the real estate. Uh, I think I could just, you know, talk the hind leg off a donkey as my mum used to say. So I, from a very, very early age and I was really interested in houses for some bizarre reason, probably because mum and dad had some sort of basic interest in it. it used to drag me along all the shop front windows, looking in the windows at the photos um, and then when I was at school yeah, in year nine or 10 or whatever it was when we did that work experience, my, um, uh, as a family member who is Peter Matthews, who's now the head of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, and Pete was a few years ahead of me at school and, uh, you know, first 15 rugby and I looked up to him and he was a real estate agent at Ray White in Bankstown and Ray White head office before he came the head auctioneer in Australia for Ray White. And I just followed Pete around. So I did three years at Ray White head office um, with Pete, moving in different places with Sam White when he was building out his, you know, franchise business, uh, sorry, his mortgage business from inside that, that um, you know, big family entity that it is. So I had great experience there, lots of auction experience. And then it went from, went from there across to London and back again wow. to Sydney. That's, a, that's amazing. And, and what, I've, what I've done is we've done a couple of lives of you. Um, so I'm just going to drop those. They're on YouTube. So go and check out all the value that he's added on past sessions but uh, on our YouTube. But what I was going to say is um, we, we, let's, let's jump into, we usually ask people about their first purchase. So we've done that with you. We've asked you about your, your favorite purchase. We've done that. Now what I'm going to ask you, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to ask you about your favorite client purchase or purchases. So Drop, lay, lay one on us, lay one on the, the OzProp crew. What, is, what are some deals you've done? Yeah, I had, I've had a few interesting ones in the last um, couple of weeks, actually. One that I was really pumped for, last week we bought a one-bedroom apartment in a new apartment block that just settled in Brisbane at Woolongabba, mm-hmm. overlooking the, um, the Gabba cricket ground. And uh, that apartment mm-hmm. sold two years ago for 430000 or 435000 off the plan. And someone was in the building who was the purchaser that ended up engaging us and uh, was riding in the lift uh, when the agent who just listed this as a resale after it just settled after completion. And the agent told him, oh, mate, we've just got this new listing. It's, um, I think it's going to be 430 to 450 uh, and it would rent for 490 a week. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for an investment. So he jumped out of the lift, called me straight away and said, Mate, there's been eight to ten resales in the last two weeks at five seventy-five to six twenty-five for the same apartments. Um, I'm going to engage you, buy it for me this afternoon at four fifty. <laughs> so I negotiated with the agent, bought it on the first day it was on the market for four hundred and fifty sight unseen, and he could sell that for a six-figure profit the next day. Like, you know, for a one-bedroom apartment in Brisbane. What, what was the yeah. agent doing, Scott? Like, what, oh, what, what did, they, did they not know? Street. No, and this is the thing, right? You've just product knowledge is key. And this um, this guy lived in the building and uh, he tracked all the sales, had a very good interest <clears> in it. The agent had no interest in, you know, the other sales that had gone before him, wasn't aware there was other transactions because there was nothing public yet as the building had just settled. And um, unfortunately for the owner, they sold it for 450 and they would have got out of it for a loss. And this guy will settle on it. And 490 um, is below market. It's actually all the rentals were going through at 550. So, you know, he bought it on like a, I can't remember, 6.5% gross yield and he'll make, wow. you know, $135,000, $150,000 instant equity uplift. 
um, you know, without for doing nothing. So that was a really good deal last week that was That's fun crazy. to work on because it was kind of like uh, I had to, um, you know, go almost anonymous incognito because he didn't want to know that it was the guy in the building and that he'd spoken to. So it was kind of all little um, Chinese whispers before we could get the deal across the line. It was good. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, just because I imagine the way that work valuations, they were probably valued four ninety when on the purchase, but then a couple of months later, you could then sort of because the comparables will be there. So, wow, that's that's really well. Cool. I think he had a list of the comparable sales that had exchanged unconditionally. So he um, he'd gone and spoken to the developers, I think, and ha and found out what all the resales were. So uh, I think they'll be able to value it up, hopefully, and and yeah, get that deal across the line. So yeah, really, really good result, thirty percent below market. Um, and, you know, the market hasn't changed like that in Brisbane. Um, that was a highly desirable property that will resell again quickly, but he'll hold it now as a great investment. But it's a good reminder that, you know, as I say, product knowledge or market knowledge just trumps everything, you know. And if you, if you can um, know your stuff, then potentially you can outmuscle the, the agent in that situation and, and save yourself a lot of money. So that was a good one. Um, yeah. Another good one we had, which was probably a good life lesson um, that I like to talk uh, you know, in terms of content to, to, to give back to other buyers. Um, I had a kind of retiree age um, husband and wife that engaged us in Western Australia a couple of weeks ago and they'd found what um, they perceived was their kind of dream home. It mm -hmm. was uh, going to come on the market for $700,000. Um, they had been through and seen it the day before they engaged me and the first open for inspection wasn't until the Saturday and it was the Thursday afternoon. So I got in and made an offer. Um, and the agent couldn't find the vendors and, and kept saying to us, look, sorry, can't find the vendors. They're away. Uh, they're in the country. They're camping or something like that. We can't get hold of them. Fast forward to Friday, still can't get hold of them. And the agent says to us and the buyer, well, we're going to just have to do the open for inspection on Saturday as planned because we can't, you know, upset the timetable and we just need to push on. And the buyer got his back up and said, you know, this is a bluff from the agent. Um, I'm walking. Tell them if they don't, you know, do the deal by 10, 10 o'clock, I'm out of here. Um, they'll see us again, blah, 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 blah. And I had to kind of talk him off a cliff by talking to the agent a lot and asking all the right questions and really getting a sense that they're not telling the, you know, porky pies. They genuinely cannot find the, um, the seller. That's I managed crazy. Yeah, managed to get it, get it together at 10 o'clock on Saturday night, the day later. Um, and they did the right thing. The agents, they ran the open for inspection. They finally tracked the owner down at about 6 o'clock. The owners agreed to the price and we bought it for 685000 So saved fifteen grand. bought it on the first day it was open for inspection. But they would have walked just because they got too emotionally invested in the process. Um, they wouldn't let the process run its natural course. They were too nervous about it. Uh, and that was the difference between buying a property or walking away from their dream home. So really important like that, that having someone out, you know, outsourced to someone that's not emotional can control those things and keep it in check. So how did you unpack that they weren't telling porky buys? Well, I mean, it's just an element of um, trying to be human with the, the agent, right? Saying, I said to him, um, so the way that I did this is rather than threaten it, because the text message from my client yeah. said, it's... 10 o'clock or I'm out, you know, make sure you do the, the old walk away kind yeah, of ultimatum. Because, and that's what most buyers do. It's like, it's an ultimatum or I'm out and it just doesn't work. And you and I, mm. Jeff, we've spoken about this tons of times on, on the show about how those types of ultimatums do not work when you're dealing with an agent who's in control. Yeah. And the agent was actually a nice guy. And I just, 
you know, human human said to him, look, I, I don't want to play this card, but that card's been played to me. So let me be the middleman. I'll take the heat on this from my client. I don't want to put you guys under a blowtorch, but this is the heat that I'm getting at that end. I sent him the text message. So I said, you don't need to address it. I'll address it. But just let me, let, you know, I just want to let you know that this is what I'm dealing with at my end. And however easy you can make this process, I'd be very grateful because you've got a genuine buyer there who really loves the home and they'll perform for you as soon as you can find your seller, assuming your seller wants to, to um, you know, let the property go at the price that we've offered. And they were really genuine about it. And they said, yep, totally, we understand. Look, we, yeah, they tried to apologize profusely. They did the right thing, but it was genuinely out of their hands. And, and then they did the deal the next night. To answer your question, Joe, they could have absolutely been lying to me. Um, it's just one of those things where you've got to ask questions, listen, yeah. be human, bring it down to a human level and, and, and not put, you know, time frames on people like that that are aggressive um, yeah. and take the heat out of it as best you can. Yeah, that's putting a lot of emotion into it. But also you've got to understand yeah. the incent, like what, what is the, the agent's incentive to say, I can't get a hold of the, the vendors? Because if he was lying, he wouldn't say that. He would just say, no, the, the vendor wants me to take it to the open. That's, Potentially, some agents like, might tell you that um, they can't get hold of the owner for whatever reason, just to buy some time. And there's plenty of shonky people out there, as we know. But yeah, I just got a sense that they were being genuine, so it worked out mm -hmm. well in that instance. But it's a good life lesson because you know we we do get lots of people, um, you know, our clients that get really emotionally invested in the process, and it's hard not to when you're buying, you know, your ideal dream home or an investment property mm -hmm. that's really important to build your portfolio and build wealth. So we can take the sting out of that as best as possible, but it's good to do it at an arm's length, whether you use a buyer's agent, someone like, like us, or you've got the ability to step back yourself and do it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're going to unpack a lot of that sort of um, the current sort of market conditions and and just the the tactics and the knowledge that you've built over that over that 30, 30 plus years in in real estate. So before we get into the 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 sort of the absolute nuts and bolts of, of the show. What are, you, what are you sort of seeing around the grounds in like you do you you said you buy nationwide so what are you what are you seeing in various markets that you're transacting in at, at the moment I think Joe just hit it um, on the head I can't remember if it were, if we were on air or not but good quality assets are still really in high demand so properties that are I'd call you know a class assets and that are sought after are still competitive for us um, sometimes it's one buyer that's you know at the pointy end of the negotiation sometimes there's multiple people. Um, but I'm definitely finding that, you know, really sought after property is holding its value and, and uh, definitely in demand. You know, you look at sort of B class assets uh, and, and others that we'll talk about more when we jump into the bargain, bargain basement stuff that we want to talk about. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for negotiation. I think most things have cooled off between 10 and 15 percent. I know the stats don't necessarily align with that nationally. Uh, and of course, we're talking about this. There's markets within markets right across the country. So we're, yeah. we're being very general here. But um, from my understanding, day-to-day -day doing this at the coalface, it's about 10 to 15% on most properties that aren't those sort of super high demand ones. And it's more a case of the FOMO has gone out of the market. It's that mm -hmm. you know fear of loss that people were paying that emotional premium. So it, it was just that frothy bit of the market that's, that's kind of come out, which I reckon is the 10%. And then generally speaking, it's probably down five or so um, you know, points from there. But yeah, it's... It, Every negotiation is different and um, because of how agents market and negotiate, every negotiation is different, right? So that's the fun of it. That's why Joe and I, um, you know, love the thrill of the game because, you know, you don't know what you're going to go and get on the next phone call. You never know. You never okay. know. But yeah, it's very similar. It's very similar to what I'm seeing. Like I've got um, like 
um, I speak to a lot of agents. So I do a lot of buying in, in Adelaide and in Perth um, and in Brisbane. Um, specifically, I'm seeing it a lot in South Australia where the, the inside the city is getting a lot cooler. So the more expensive assets are cooling off price-wise. So anything um, above 750 the agents that are in that pocket's like, yeah, man, the market is absolutely frozen. You know, it's cooling, it's cooling, it's cooling. And then you go on the outskirts a little bit where, uh, you know, where it's at that 500, well, 450 to 600. It's crazy. There's still like we had a, we went to an open home, 36 people went through. Only yeah. one person got the property. So there's now 35 families looking for a similar property and they're going to go to another open and miss out on another one, another one, and then just going to keep bidding it up until the new stock comes online and they, they clear through. So um, yeah, still absolutely mental in the right, in the right places. But that's why buying, like when we say buy, you know, buying in a cooling market, markets within markets, you've got to don't, don't buy in a cooling market. Don't go in a market that's falling off of a cliff. Don't choose an asset type that's falling off a cliff. Um, go choose a property that's actually growing and continuing to grow because it's got good fundamentals behind it. Yeah, and I think that some of the areas that you're buying in possibly as well are heavily um, dictated by investor clients, aren't they? Like I'm when I go into those markets, you might be able to tell me differently because I don't do probably as much of those as you do. But from my understanding, when I go into that kind of 500 to 700,000 house market in Adelaide and in um, Western Australia, there's just a lot of investors that are competing against it from interstate as well. And I'm talking mm -hmm. to lots of different buyers agents that say that's where they predominantly are buying as well. So they're going to Adelaide, they're going to Perth. They were going into southeast Queensland, um, but it's kind of shifted to those those areas as well. So it's just it's it's competitive with other investors as well. So, but it's a big place, right? Big country. There's lots of opportunity, and um, you know, I at the, at the moment we're kind of as I said to you, we're building some things behind the scenes, and a lot of that is around portfolio building for clients and looking at opportunities. And I'm spending probably an hour a day just scouring um, realestate.com or domain looking at opportunities and in an hour, I can probably find between 10 and 14 good buying opportunities in, in hotspots. Mm. Um, so then it's a matter of just digging into those and finding them. So if I can do that in under an hour, um, you know, there is plenty of opportunity and they're just in specific suburbs that Sam's picking out for me that we're looking for clients. And there's, there's definitely good buying opportunities. There's still can, plenty can, of I, can I ask you, what, what, uh, what do you determine as a good buying opportunity? Well, we to kind of reverse engineer it in terms of for us, we're looking for certain types of property for certain clients, right? So mm -hmm. clients will come to us with a particular brief of what they're trying to achieve. And a lot of those will be owner-occupiers looking for their own home. But if you're talking about investors, for example, I had a, um, a mortgage broker that refers a lot of business to Hello House that uh, called us up a couple of weeks ago and said, look, I've got $3.5 million to spend on investment properties. I want three properties minimum. Um, can you just tell me what I need to do and go and do it for me, basically done for you. And that's not what we do. We don't find properties, as you know. That's not uh, our business model allows us to analyse and negotiate nationwide when the client brings us the property. So that's been fun for me because I've always enjoyed, you know, as you know, my journey in terms of buying and, and flipping properties. I love that part of it. So I've spent a lot of time just trawling um, realestate.com nationally and I've managed to buy him um, different properties that suit that um, portfolio. And what I said to him is what I want to build is identify growth suburbs, um, buy fully leased assets, properties that we can add value to to increase the rent over time when we want to, um, properties that have got development upside uh, and they're going to be positively geared. So that was kind of the reverse engineer of what, what he was going to get. Um, and I bought a triplex in Palm Beach 
on the Gold Coast. I think its last 10 years average was about 11% growth. Um, I bought 1500 bucks a week rental uh, over three lots for 1.45 million, about 150 meters from the sand at Palm Beach with all of those things. So, you know, that's that was kind of the centerpiece of, of that portfolio building. Uh, one of the ones I spoke to Joe about this week was I found a um, property in a major regional city in New South Wales. Uh, it was on at 800. I negotiated it down to 690, so saved him 110 grand. Uh, it was six individual units on one title with no strata, fully leased in a growth area, um, and it was returning 10.11% gross at 690 oh, that's, grand. So, that's the one I you know, saw um, advertised. Yeah, I put out on the group as well, just to show you guys kind of what we're doing. So th those types of things, there was another one in um, north of Brisbane, which was a three pack apartment block on a corner block with, you know, development upside like that for under 900 grand that was positively geared in a growth area again. So there's plenty of these things that I can find just looking online. Uh, and then it just takes a bit of, you know, due diligence to dig into that further. And we've got a good team that do that as Joe does as well. And, you know, you can get those answers pretty quick, can't you, Joey, and work out whether or not it's a starter or a, a dud. Move on. Start or a dud, <laughs> a hotspot or a not spot, as as, yes, as Joe, exactly. Joe likes to say. So I, I wanted to ask you. Let, let's get into the the unless you got a question there, Joe. I want to ask you about the nuts and bolts of the show, the brass tax. Well, well, before we get to that, actually, I'm going to tease you a little bit. Um, how do you? Uh, what is the? What do you see is the key differences between a hotter hot market or a buyer's market versus a, a, a seller's market? So hot versus cold market, colder. What do you think is the key differences? Me or Joey? Uh, you, 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 Scotty. Um, well, I mean, in terms of buying, in terms of buying, oh, buying, definitely buying, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely buying, in, in terms of rather than selling. No, um, we can. Yeah, sell. well, I mean, the there's a there's a big shift. It doesn't really change my strategy in terms of how we buy. Um, so it's the same fundamentals at play really in any market conditions for me. It's it's understanding market value and determining market depth in terms of who you're competing against. To yep. get a sense of of um, where you need to position your your price and how much competition you know you're going to have, uh, and then moving with speed. So the only really variable that I find buying in a down market is is that um, I will ask reasonably leading well leading questions of the agent or the seller to determine how much um, you know perceived competition I have before I make an offer, and I'll I always do that in any market, but I'll often bait them with a much lower price to see if they buy to that level or if they kind of give me any indication of where I'd need to be positioned. So um, that means that I can typically start lower than I normally would. So we've spoken a lot about my um, methodology of offering 95 to 97% of the target price once you've heavily researched the asset, because I yeah. think that's the best um, zone to strike in to save money and to secure a property fast. Um, but in a down market, I might start at 90%. So there's some flexibility there for me to, for me to change. And, the other thing that's really important is, uh, and we can dig into this more, but finding assets at um, you know an early stage, so pre and off market, is crucially important in a booming market because you've got to knock out your competition, but it's equally important in a down market. And I think this is something that's overlooked a lot by people that think they've the buyers that have got control, that you hold the cards, um, and that you can take your time and you can dilly-dally along mm -hmm. when there's a problem that you like. But the reality is if it's a good asset, it'll sell in any market. So you're going to have buyer competition the longer that you leave that for. So I think it's really important and I think it's overlooked as I say that in a down market or a softening market and what I call it at the moment is that shoulder season from it's gone from the peak of the market, hasn't quite hit the cooling 
winter market yet. It's in that shoulder season, so there's a lot of adjustment for sellers and for buyers. In this shoulder season, getting to those nervous se sellers really early is crucial because that's where you'll get your best buying. What I see is when we can knock out our competition and when we find one of those sellers that's nervous, they're watching the media headlines, um, they're getting beat up by mm. interest rates. Um, interest rate rises. Inflation, rising yep. debt, everything's happening. Yep. They may have bought already. They may be exposed financially for whatever reason. Those ones are just looking for the first buyer that comes along and makes a genuinely fair offer and it shows a lot of interest in their property. You've got the best chance of buying that without competition. So that's kind of the number one thing for me at the moment is making sure my clients understand the importance of getting there first and moving with speed through the buying process. Yeah, I absolutely love that because so you, you sort of, you, you've outlined the key, the key differences you're sort of, as you're saying, you're saying use the same tactics, but but you're but you're you're, you're outlining why in a hot market the, the reason for trying to get off market pre market opportunities is because is so you can actually secure the property. Um, doing that in a in a cooling down whatever market you want to call it, you can you can then sort of secure something at a, at a really really good price rather than actually securing the property. But I think there's there's heaps of value there in that little nuance. And the other thing I love there is you, you're not necessarily you're not lowballing the you're not sort of going with them at, at a ridiculous stupid off like fifty percent of the the asking price. You're sort of pulling the uh, pulling your your expectation back a little bit. But but yeah, I think that's that's really um, great value. Well, it doesn't change. Also, I just want to highlight the fact that I love that nuance, that pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> that nuance, nuance, nuance of nuance. nuance. Yeah, after that, I thought that's, that's gold. <laughs> do it, you should do it as a clip. <laughs> I love your nuances. They're beautiful. Um, yeah, but I mean, the lowballing thing, and I don't know if you want to unpack that more later. We don't have to get into it now, but uh, it is just a really silly mindset to think that you should be lowballing people. Um, I know that that's the Aussie way seems to be that you know, or Uncle John lowballed the agent and, you know, got a great deal. So I'm going to do the same. I'm just going to run around and see 100 properties and make 20 lowball offers and see which one sticks. But all you're going to do is engage um, the seller who's got the, the asset that they can't get rid of to anyone else at, at fair market price or a decent price. Mm -hmm. So you're buying dud assets, even in a down market. So whether you buy a dud in the down or a dud in the up, you're still buying a dud that's not going to outperform in capital growth. That's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars at the other mm -hmm. end when you go to sell it and recoup those profits later. So lowballing doesn't work for me. The, 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 the other big thing for me is when you're making an offer and you're negotiating, that you don't learn anything if you make an offer that gets instantly rejected. You don't learn what the motivation is of the seller. Um, and that's the, the, the goal of negotiation, right? You've got to engage them in the dogfight and work out where their motivation is to trade. If you can't do that, then you get a flat no, you've learned nothing, and then you've got to start bidding against yourself um, and increasing and then the same same thing you know has been till you know i can long i can talk about this so i'm long in the tooth the same thing happens every time when i'm an agent that if you come along and lowball it and i say no and you come back for a second bite then i know that i've got you on the hook and i'll keep saying no because you'll keep spending more money and you just end up keep bidding against yourself and you get screwed so terrible yeah. terrible strategy 100 percent yeah. Well, I'm interested. You, you mentioned some leading leading questions to unpack the the buyer depth. What are some of those questions like? What are some of the things to to pull that out of the agent to understand their um, buyer pool that they've got? Yeah. So, I mean, a phone call, if you like, for me might be, um, "Hey, Joe, it's Scott from Hello House. Um, I'm interested in 12 Smith Street. 
Um, Joe, we've got a client that um, is finance approved. They're ready to buy. Actually, we're already under offer with another property just down the road um, that's off market. So we're getting a little bit of pressure from, from that seller to move quickly on it and wrap up the deal. But we've just seen 12 Smith Street. My client sent it across to me. We really, really like that property. It looks like it ticks all the boxes for them. Um, so we'd be interested in getting through there as quickly as possible. When's the first opportunity that you could show me through or show the client through? We've got an open this weekend. Um, I know it's Wednesday today, but this weekend we've got one on Saturday. So you can feel free to come to that. Pop by. Yep, cool. So as I said to you, unfortunately, it's not us putting the pressure on it, but it's the sellers on the other property that have got us in a bit of a bind. They've told us if we don't exchange by close of business Friday, they're going to put it openly on the market. And we're not going to let that happen. We'll pursue that property and buy it. But as I said, this looks on paper like it's the right property for us. So um, what can we do to get in this afternoon or tomorrow morning? Like we, we, We're ready to go. We'll buy it unconditionally. We'll have clean conditions, finance approved. What do we need to do to get in that? And, in that? and while we're there, just want to, you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit of turkey for a second, Joe, as well. Um, this client's, uh, I see you've got it as kind of offers over 850. This client's sitting in that kind of 870, 880 range that they've been offering on other properties. Are we wasting our time on this one? Uh, no, no, not at all. Definitely, Scott. I will. Uh, I've got to speak to my vendor, and I, you know they wanted to go oh. to the open. <laughs> Joe just laid his cards on the table there. Look at him. Sorry, go. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's if, that's good. You're coming in with a realistic price because you know the market so well that the the agent has put it on there for eight fifty, and you know it's going to go to eight ninety. So you're not even messing around. Yeah. And the next question will be: So, Joe, what buys it today? Mm. What secures it? <laughs> Joe's Joe stalling you. No, I mean, well, I, would, I would say that and then I won't say another word, right? What buys exactly. it, Joe? Just wait. What buys it today? Yeah. That's good. That, that was probably and, one of our most successful role plays on, on Ozprop. We remember we tried that with, with Teddy Sloan. <laughs> That was, that was awkward as yeah anything. Yeah, I mean, that, it's that type of dialogue anyway. And I do it in a conversational way, polite, to the point, always very direct. But I'm constantly fishing for data points and I'm making a mental note of it the whole time, right? And why I asked you 870 or 880 is because I'm looking for one of two things, right? I'm, I'm looking for you to say, no, you're not wasting your time at that level, come along, or yeah, you are, mate. We've already got interest at 900. So they're quoting 850, but instantly I know that it's got to be over 900, right? Mm, or yeah, the other way, no, 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 like you wouldn't be wasting your time at 870, 880. Look, they've just knocked back 862 and the vendor counted at 887. You know, this happens to me all the time. You've just got to ask the direct questions. You ask the question, mm. you'll very often get a direct response from, from the agent. Now, the job is to see through the bullshit, right? And who's planting, you know, price positioning, you at a certain level, um, and there's no buyer there at that price, but they want you to believe that there's competition at a certain price and who's actually telling the truth. And that's a learned skill. That's just really good listening, asking more follow-on questions um, to dig further into that rabbit hole and see if you can get any more information out of that. Because if they said, um, mate, we've already got 900 on the table, you'd have to pay 900, I'd say, okay, great. Well, you know, they've been at that 870, 880 level on the other property, so I'm going to have to go back to them and see what their capacity is to perform at a higher level. But let me just ask this because I don't want to waste your time. I'm really conscious of wasting your time and theirs and mine. We're all busy. And because I said to you already that we've got that other property that we're chasing. We're a long way down the path. Um, mm -hmm. If um, we were to come in at a level that was below nine, but we had unconditional terms and the right settlement. By the way, what is the right settlement for your client? What are the terms they're looking for? 30 days? Great. Yeah, we can do 30 days. Yeah, or well, 90 days. Yeah, sure, we can do 90 days. That's not a problem. If we can do that, 
would your clients um, see that as a more favourable offer or would the offer that you've got in hand still be a, a, a stronger trump card than that? And they go, oh, yeah, look, you know, that's subject to the sale of their home or it's subject to finance. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay, great, no problem. So what I'm doing is I'm, um, I'm getting them to tell me all about this offer that they're not telling any other buyer even exists. And now yeah, I know that yeah. conditional upon so the So they're, they're, they're telling you without telling you, which so you're basically yeah. sort of asking in a roundabout way. So yeah. I, and I've really just crafted them with a price that I know we're prepared to pay more for, right? Like I've, just, I've just anchored them at a certain level, 870, And the whole time I keep referring to a third party that doesn't exist, you know, I'm using that as leverage. So it's not me. I'm not putting any pressure on you, Joe, but the vendor down the road really wants to sell their property. Otherwise, they're going to put it to market and we're going to miss that. We're not going to lose that opportunity. So now the pressure's on you, Joe, and your seller. Will you get us in this afternoon or tomorrow morning and before the open for inspection? And will you give me a shot at buying it unconditionally before anyone's even seen it? So that's fun. pushing that door down, knocking that door down politely through a series of very loaded questions. Do, do, do you have it happen very often where the, where the, in, in the current market where the agent will say, well, no, we're going to go to the open on Saturday? Does that sort of then indicate that there is a lot of interest or what would be the reason they'd still go to Saturday or to the open? Um, some, some, so there'll be multiple reasons is the answer to that. So some of it's going to be um, they overcooked it to the vendor and they need to see an open for inspection with limited interest to beat the vendor down on price. So they need yeah. time. Part of it will be they're underquoting or price baiting and they know they're going to get 50 people turn up at the open and they want that exposure for their brand and their profile and they want to leverage buy competition against you. Yeah. Um, and, and part of them is just they're unsure of the value of the home. So it might be a unique asset or something that hasn't sold for you know, a certain amount of time locally that there's no direct comparable sale and they want the feedback from the market. They need the feedback. Um, so there's there's varying degrees to as to why they would or vary variable you know reasons why they'll um, take it to market. Sorry, I'm not spitting my words out clearly, but you get the drift. Bit of nuance. Yeah. Bit of nuance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see that as well. Like I, I do speak to a lot of agents, and and a lot do want to take it to market because of that. They want to see. They're like, to be honest, the market's moving so much. I don't know what it's worth, and I think that I'm going to do really well out of this because I've got an emotional buyer. I can get an emotional buyer. You're an investor and you're going to be at a next price. I think I can go to that next level and get an emotional bid. So yeah, I'm going to go to the open and yeah. I need to get my name out there. I need to get my face out there. I need to talk Correct. to all the neighbors. I need it's to mostly about profile building for them because if you, yeah. you know, the old adage in real estate is if you can sell it on, on a Saturday in the, on the street with a hundred neighbors, looking at how good you did and you were the difference between an average result and a great result, or you sold it on Tuesday night at seven o'clock in the office behind closed doors when no one saw it, what would you rather do? They want the profile, right? The only way that they can list and sell more properties is to meet more people and to build their Mm -hmm. profile. So that's what you're competing against. And for any agent that tells you we don't know what it's worth is full of shit because they had to put a range of 10% on an agency agreement to get the listing. So they know what the comparable sales are. They live and die by those. And if they don't know, then there's a major problem um, in the market because they're pulling all the strings. So that's just a throwaway line to buy more time and to get you to the open. Is the, um, is the, is this, is the quote, I don't know, a quote or saying, I probably just made this up, is the quote, listing is for show, selling is for dough. Is, is there much in that? Because as you're sort of saying, you want to list, you want to get it out there, that's, that's for show to really get your brand. Whereas when you actually sell it, that's when you get the dough. You're, like, you're not getting any money necessarily from listing it, but you're building your pipeline. 
I've actually never heard that term in 28 years, but it's good. I mean, I just made it up. You know that real estate quote that I just made up, that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, the, the, the kind of old one in the real estate game is list and last. The ones, you know, the agents that can list will, you know, last long-term in the industry because that's where you make your money is controlling the stock in the marketplace. Yeah. And, and that goes back to building profile and just being seen, you know, religiously in your area and your core market and, and being the leader. So that's that's definitely a, a, a big part of the reason why you're going to battle to get in prior to an open for inspection. But most buyers just give up and don't try. They're sheeple, right? They'll just, you know, oh, I can't get in until Saturday at 3 o'clock. Okay, well, you know, what questions did you ask? What dialogue did you use? Oh, nothing. I just texted them or emailed them and said, when can I see it? And they said, mm. come along at 3 o'clock on Saturday with the other 900 people. Um, and the mm. other thing that, that if you're going to go back and do a second inspection or a third inspection... As an agent, I would control those inspection times as well to make sure that the property was presented at the best possible light. So control yeah. traffic, noise, privacy, whatever it was. So if I had to get away from busy school zones or you know peak hour traffic that was going to affect the property, whatever it was, if you asked me, Jeff, when can I see it? I'd say to you, yep, definitely. Look, I'm so busy, but I can get you through there at 10.30 on Tuesday morning. I was thinking 10.30 because you're not going to get them through at 3 o'clock or 3.30 because that's yes. school pickup. And I'm, and I'm not going to do it at 6 o'clock at peak hour when you're going to be running late after work and stressed. And so the, the, and I'm going to do it right when the sun comes straight into the house and is absolutely perfect. And there's just so many little tricks like that. So you've got to think outside the square and say, okay, well, I don't want to see it at 10.30 in its best possible light. I want to see it in the pouring rain at 6 o'clock, mm. you know, in peak hour because that's at its worst. I used to love days when I'd go property shopping and it was raining because I was like, well, you know, we'll see if there's any water leaks. We'll see how dark it is. Um, this is, it's, you know, at its worst. It's, it's a great way mm. to kind of, you know, benchmark the property. Yeah, you still love it. Um, there's a good question that's come up here that I think is a good time for it. Um, what questions would you ask if there's no price guide before the first open to get a realistic guide or a buy price? What's the best comparable sale you used with the vendor? Mm. Oh, uh, uh, what do you mean? What's what's the best comparable sale I can peg this to just so I can understand value? So you're the local expert, Joe. Um, I you know, respect you. You've got great brand and profile in the local area. Mate, just to, I'm, I'm a beginner. Um, I don't really understand. I'm just learning. It's in an early stage for me. I'd love to pick your brain. Really respect you. You've got a great name in the industry. Um, what's the best comparable sale that you reckon would back up with this one? Uh, yeah, every agent, you blow a bit of sunshine up their ass. Every agent's going to go, oh, Scott, oh, mate. Oh, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Oh, well, I've been working at it so hard, you know, my golf swing. You know, oh, you're talking about real estate? Sorry, okay. Um, you know, and they, they're going to tell you, oh, it's it's probably like, you know, 27 Daphne Street sold on Saturday, you know, for 1.6. You know, it's probably, I don't know, mm. it's quite 5% either way of that one, mate, based on, on what buyers are telling us. You know, they're going to give you some, dig, ask questions. You know, do you, what do you think is, you know, if you know what you're looking for, you say to the agent, um, I know you haven't got a price guide. And same question. What buys it? Okay. You won't tell me. Great. Okay. Let me think. What's my next question? Uh, what's the best comparable that I can look up that would match where you think this might sit, you know, where I should be comparing it with? You won't answer that one? Okay, great. Next question. Um, I just saw 27 Daphne Street on, sell on Saturday. Do you think this is worth more or less than that in your eyes as a professional? You know, there's so many ways you can ask the same question. It's it's hard to not answer that third one because you actually to say, oh, I, you, you just feel like you have to answer that third one. Like, yeah, I challenge anybody not to answer that third question with a 
a bit oh, higher or lower. Like, yeah, and, and you get to a point where the agents go, do you know what? I just want to get him off the phone. Mate, things sold on Saturday for 1.6. It'll, it'll be either side 1.6. So, so, you know, come along on and, and have a look. And you, 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 I'm not, I'm not buying it. You, the market will determine market value. That's that's another throwaway line that they always use. Yes, but you're done. you, know, you had to do three comparable sales and a 10% range to the owner. I'm not expecting you to tell me what the 10% range is, but what's the latest and best comparable, or what's the best property on the market currently for sale that you think this competes with? Yeah, yeah. you know, Joe yeah. Bob's got yeah. one down the road at 44 Jones Street, you know, would you buy that? Oh, no, nah, Jones Street's a busy street, mate. This is better than that. Okay, great. Well, maybe the Jones Street agent will tell you exactly what they want for that house. And all of a sudden, you've just worked out that you need to be north of Jones Street. Okay? Get some data points. So, yeah, so you mm. just you just got to think like that of how you can um, engage them and, and get the information that you want out of them on your terms. Such a great point as well, because you will be, if you're in a market and you're buying property, in this market, you are going to be talking to five agents and literally, oh, I was just actually speaking with this agent about one, two, three Smith Street. What? It, how does this one stack up? Like you are going to be having those conversations. So you should have those in the back of your mind. Love that. That's such a great eye, such a powerful tool. Um, yeah. what, one of the questions I have for you, Scotty, is in terms of coming up with the, the set buy price, when we are, you know, the peak of the market was here, Prices have now shifted, but when we look back in time, the comparables are up to here, but now the prices are down to here. How do you kind of factor that in um, when, we're, when we're buying? Well, we talked at the start about what we think the market's done generally, um, and then when we're buying a specific area, I'll talk to agents, competing agents that haven't got that listing and ask them outright, you know, we're looking for three-bedroom houses around 700 grand. In your eyes, Joe, as a leading local agent, I want to pick your brain, what do you think that market's done over the last couple of months? You know, where, where's the market heading? And they'll say to you, mate, look, it's probably, you know, dropped 10%. You know, the heat's just not in the market. Okay, great. So, um, you know, if you had a – and often I'll flip the switch. This is what I would do, actually, in this situation. I would say to you, Joe, respect you as a local agent. Want to pick your brain for a second. Can I borrow your time for a minute? Sure. What can I do for you? Mate, I've got a property locally. It's a three-bedroom house on 600 square metres that I'm thinking of bringing to market. I'm talking to a couple of agents. What's the market done in the last three months? Do you reckon I just want to consider who to use as a right selling agent? And I'm looking for a no bullshit response because I want to, you know, filter through it. Give me some honest feedback of where the market's at. Mate, it's 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 tough. It's not that good. You know, we're battling to get people across the line. We got, you know, one or two buyers at, at these houses. It's all smoke and mirrors. You know, we got that. But you flip the switch, you pretend you're a vendor and they'll tell you the whole world because they want to get you listening and get you under control. You ring up as a buyer and they Mate, it's so busy. Oh, God, you know, run off my feet. We had we had six buyers competing for that last property and it just went gangbusters. We got 20 grand more than we thought we were going to get for it and, you know, crazy times, you know. <laughs> so you, you just you ask them the opposite and, you know, you'll get the information out of them. So I'll do that. We'll call around and we'll speak to other agents as the first, first step. Um, we'll do, you know, we'll obviously we'll do deep DD about what's on the market currently that we can buy. And the same thing, we'll ring those agents and say, Yours is on at 750. What buys it? And they'll say, oh, look, mate, if I had a buyer at 670, 680, it would probably secure it today. Great. Okay. Well, then the asking prices on some of these properties are way overcooked and the market's actually well below that. And then you can work out where the comparables are pretty closely. Typically, there's comparables selling every week or every couple of weeks that are going to be semi close to what you're buying. If you're built in buying in a built up area, like you, you know, you're buying in Adelaide, Perth, Queensland, there's normally lots of comparables. Um, sales evidence that comes through 
So I, I just piece all of those things together in a puzzle. And then, you know, we arrive at a figure that we feel comfortable supporting up to. And then our client sets the target price. So they're in complete control and they let us know where they're comfortable um, spending. And then we build our negotiation strategy around buying it, you know, below that number. There you yeah. go. Live, live solved. Every, 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 okay. every blank. Yeah. Um, what, what I was going to say is we, we've sort of spoken to some of the, some of the ways to do this, but what are, what are the ways that people can avoid bidding against themselves? I think one of the first ones you mentioned is like throw out the low ball fallacy because then you're going to start bidding yourself up. What are some of the other sort of really quick tips and tactics that you can use to do that, to stop to not bid against yourself? Yeah, well, that, that's the clear, obvious one that a lot of buyers will do. Um, the other one is, well, there's probably two we should talk about. One is um, calling an agent's bluff in that situation where uh, a lot of agents will say to you, you know, you're at 720, thanks for your offer. The vendors would have sold at that level, but it looks like there's another buyer that's, you know, we're expecting mm -hmm. another offer to come in this afternoon or tomorrow. They're indicating to us around 750 or 730, 740, whatever the number of numbers end up being. Um, yeah. I think you're going to have to put more on the table to secure this. Normally, that's bullshit, you know, because that's what I would use against you as, a, as an agent when I was in that seat. I would say that, and I'm doing that to, to push you one more time. So I'm asking you for your best and final offer. You come in at 720, and then I'm going to use that dialogue against you to see if I can push you another 10, 20, 50 grand, okay? So it's normally a test at that point, or it was for me anyway as an agent, because then I could turn around to my owner and say, they came in with what they say is their best and final, I've already had one shot at them to push them beyond that, threatening that they're going to lose it to another buyer and they won't budge. Or they gave me another five grand. That is it. So there's no more money. You need to make your decision on selling on this price or, or find another buyer. So that was how I conditioned, not conditioned, but how I got my sellers in a position to accept market because I exhausted those buyers. So in reverse, you should expect that's going to happen to you when agents are talking to you. And that's when a lot of people will bid against themselves because they're very emotional and they don't want to miss out at that point. The other major time it happens, and sadly, this happens every weekend at so many auctions back to back across the country, and there's over 2,000 of those at the moment every Saturday or every week, is that um, because we're in this, what I call the shoulder season that we discussed earlier, you've got properties that have been pitched at a certain level by the agent to say, okay, Jeff, we want to list your property at 10 Smith Street. Um, I, I reckon I can get you 750 grand. You go, yep, great, you know, 750. Here's the comparables, as Joe just said, from three months ago that suggest I'm going to get you 750. Then they're going to go out to market and there's no way they can quote 750 or even offers over seven because the market's shifted and it's changed. And now they're going to quote over 600,000 or over 625 or whatever it might be. And they're going to push you up under that cooker, you know, high pressure, emotional pressure cooker, I should say, environment in an auction. And they're going to do the same to the seller. So the seller has got these high expectations. The vendor's got their low expectations. The buyer's got the low expectations on price because the agent set that. And the problem here is where you bid against yourself is it gets to auction. It doesn't meet reserve. You're the highest bidder. And then the agent comes over to you and says, look, Jeff, you know, we're really close to getting this call on the market, but we're not quite there yet. Um, can you give me another 20? What are you going to do? You know, you've been looking for the Australian average punter looks for seven months. You've missed five properties. This is your sixth property. What do you do, Jeff, in that situation? Like, you can buy this and wrap it up for another, probably wrap it up for another 20 grand today. What are you going to do? Your wife's pulling on your hand and you're sweating and you're under pressure and the whole auction stopped. Everyone's looking my, at you. Everyone's looking at my, you. My, my <laughs> wife's told me we can't spend more than 600 on this property. If, 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 if your if, wife's right if, there, ask her again. Yeah. <laughs> 
Jeff, there's um, there's there's been a number. He's going to beat me with a handbag if I spend more than six hundred. Yeah. But. but Jeff, look, there's a number of people that are here to buy it today. Some of them yeah. um, weren't able to bid under auction conditions. They need a finance clause. Um, yeah. There's a number of buyers that have shown interest in this that won't be ready until Monday or Tuesday. You're going to have a lot of interest in this as soon as I put it back on at a fixed price. You mate, I've been helping you and your missus for the last six months, seven months. I've been with you for so many properties. I really like you guys. I want to get this property over the line for you. For another 20 grand, I reckon I can get it wrapped up. Can you give me another 20? It's 20 grand. Screw it's it. just 20 grand. And in the background, the auctioneer is breaking it down to small increments saying, Jeff, it's just, it's a cup of coffee a day. It's, you know, you know, they're breaking it down to the smallest possible increment because they want yeah. you to think 20 grand is a drop in the ocean. I won't go through the whole role play, but what I'm getting at here is that yeah. buyers in that situation when they're under the blowtorch will pay that extra 20. But the reality is everyone around you came to buy that property that registered to bid. No one has bid any more than you. So you are market value at that point. It's now time for the agent to go inside and beat their vendor up because they overcooked it to the vendor to win the listing. And that's when you've got to stay strong. So that's the other danger in this market. Uh, it's actually a danger in any market, but in particular in this shoulder season market is bad. And we find clients just overspending by tens of thousands of dollars. And you see people overspend by hundreds of thousands of dollars in this situation because it's just so nerve wracking for, for Joe Public. So as a and, as a buyer in that situation, could I could I say, look, actually, we're going to an open home straight after this. There's there's another property that we like the looks of, but I like I like yours better. If I give you six hundred on the spot, you go and present it to your vendor. Is that is, is can we can we buy that property today? Would that would I, that sort of we, work as well? Yeah, we, we're confident we're um, we're going to beat that price, as I say. So if it's not today, you know, we've got to till midnight under auction conditions. Otherwise, we'll get this done on Monday or Tuesday with one of those other buyers. Um, look, the vendor is here to buy. This is your best opportunity, Jeff. You walk away from here. The vendor's expectations may go north. We, you know, once you move from your first mover advantage now, that allows us legally to talk to the underbidders. Um, you yeah. know, there's plenty of people here, as you've seen, that have competed for the property today. And if someone goes away and has a think about it, they may well just come back. So the risk, Jeff, yeah. is all against you guys. For 20 grand, you can finish this right here and right now. Jeff, don't yeah. let it go over 20 grand. You love the house. You've done all the due diligence. You've been with us for six months. What are you going to do? What do you say? What do you yeah, say? Yeah, that is my question. What yeah, do yeah. I say I, I kind of wanted, wanted to yeah. see if I could come up with the answer without asking the question. But... I, I, I thrive in this. I love these conversations. Like, I can't yeah. wait for this to happen to me if, if it's yeah. bidding against me on a, on a Saturday when I'm representing a client. I love this stuff. It's like contact yeah. sport for me. So my, the same dialogue I use every time is, um, look, Joe, you wanted this public auction. You chose this method of sale. I tried to buy this three weeks ago in week one. You told me that it had to go to auction. Your clients really wanted to see the market. They weren't prepared to sell prior. They wanted to put on it, you know, to get everyone engaged. You've just done that, mate. This is a public auction. Look around you. There's 100 people here. You've done a great job. Congratulations on your marketing efforts. It looks like there's probably 10, 15 people bidding. But, mate, I'm the only person with my hand up last to buy this house. I am market value. It's now time for you to go inside and earn your money as a really good agent. So you turn around and go back inside and you talk to your vendor and you tell them that if you want to sell for market value, it is right there, right now with Scott Agate. And if you don't take it now, that buyer walks over to you. But isn't that an ultimatum though? 
Is, is that an but ultimatum? That's what it's got to be at that point. Oh, okay, yeah, they're, yeah. they're looking to put you that's, under pressure. That's what, I was trying, that's what I was trying to avoid doing because, yeah. yeah then, then you yeah, that. I put that. I mean, I do it politely. I don't. That was probably yeah. quite an arrogant way of saying it, just to yeah. be theatrical here. But you know, yeah. I do that in a polite way. But basically, it's those words. Like you yeah. wanted a public auction, you called it. This is your yeah. method of sale. It's your game. You did yeah. this. You go and fix it. And I, I think what, what what's good to highlight there is it, it's about the process. If you just rock up on auction day and, and try and sort of pull this pull this card, I don't, I don't think you can pull that card just by pull just by showing up on auction day. Because it, is, is that sort of true? Like you sort of have to be sort of in in the running prior to the auction, sort of trying to buy it prior. Is that sort of what you? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think the agent cares what color your money is as long as you're standing there with your hand up last as the lead buyer. I don't okay. think they care if they met you two minutes ago in the toilet or um. You know, you've been there for six weeks with them. They couldn't care less. They, they all yeah, they care about yeah. at that point is getting a sold sticker put on the signboard. So, yeah, um, whoever is there that's got their hand up that they can close. So they're going to use that pressure, um, you know, mm. tactic to get you to move, and they're going to use the same reverse tactics in a lot of ways on their seller. Just the wow. you know the reverse of that. I, I reckon there's probably at least ten to twenty to thirty, maybe in the hundred thousand dollars we've just presented in value there that people could use <laughs> their own tactics. Yeah. Yeah, we one should thing do I wanted to ask on auctions because just the auction day alone, like the auction event, is a whole like hour, hour and a half for me. There's just so much to unpack there. As an auction agent who's been through thousands of them and um, yeah, trained in it a lot, there's just so many easy little throwaway tips for people that would give them a lot of value. So we can talk about that another time if that interests the group. Joe was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to going to ask because you've got a lot of not filler words, but you have like a. Like you don't just go straight to the point. How important is it to kind of fluff out your response? Like rather than just saying, look, I'm the last one here. Everyone, every, I've got my hand up last. You guys go in and make up your mind. That's not going to work as well as you saying, look, you've done an amazing campaign. This is absolutely awesome. Everybody's here. The fact remains that I have my last, I'm the last one with the hand up. Um, I'm ready to buy this right now. We are unauctioned conditions. This is a done deal. Do you want to go through a seven day, 14 day finance and pest and building inspection? No, then go ahead and, you know, blah, blah, blah. How important is it to fluff it out like that rather than just going direct straight to the point? Well, what you said first would probably work, but what you said second gives a whole backstory and shows me that you're highly confident, you know what you're doing, and you're not going to budge. Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the whole story with it goes, okay, all right, I'm going to go cap in hand, back into the owners and see what I can do. I'll be back in a minute. Yeah. 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 yeah I just think you need to give you need to give some colour around it. Um, and if you blow a little bit of sunshine up them, you keep hearing me say this because it's just, unfortunately, it's a game of egos in real estate. Um, for guys and girls, um, and they love a little bit of good news first before you slap them around a bit. So, you know, give them, you know, great job on the marketing, congratulations, and, and you know, say it sincerely. Um, you know, I love this property. We want to buy it. We're here to buy it. We love it. You've done a great job. It's a beautiful home. The owners have done a great job. They've What a great garden they've looked after. We really want to own it, but we're the only ones here with our hand up, mate. You wanted this. You called it. Time to go and have a chat with the owners about, you know, exactly what you just said, Joe. Do you really want a finance clause? Do they want a subject to building in pests? Like, we've done all that, mate. Like, just get it over and done with. They've had it for 30 years. What's 20 grand to them? Just get it over and done with. Go and try and rip the yeah. head off. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. A, a good question that's come up here from Brian is how often is a passed-in property sold the following week for a price higher than the last bid at auction? Obviously, that's quite a specific question, but I'd love to get your opinion on, on passed-in properties and when they sell and what they sell for generally. 
Yeah, I don't have those stats, um, so I could not. I don't give, know anybody who would. Yeah, I, I can't give Brian that, that, that answer. Options? Is it? I can only give you the answer of the most recent one, which his wife, Lisa, who works with us, um, was working on today with me. Um, and Lisa was chasing a property that we're going to talk about later with underquoting that uh, went to auction on Saturday. It passed in at 1.57 and it sold yesterday for 1.6. So, you know, they sold it for more two days later. <laughs> That's probably Lisa told Brian about that, and he's like, "Actually, how often does that happen?" <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Scott's I, I, right I, I, here. Actually, yeah, Scott yeah. live. We'll just ask him. <laughs> it, it's, it, it may it may happen. So what what I'm thinking is, if it passes an auction, then it's generally likely going to be because it hasn't met reserve. Because if it's not reserve, then why wouldn't it sell? So the only yeah. it's it's very likely going to sell for more because then it's going to have otherwise. The vendor, or maybe not, because a vendor could think, "Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to get that price. I'll have to sell," or, or mm. if they just dig their heels in, they'll say, "Well, I want." Yeah, I, I don't know what the yeah. stats are, but I'd, I'd say I don't know that they would sell for much higher. But at the end of the day, there's market value, and then there's then there's what you've got to pay to buy certain assets. Like the the yeah. vendor determines where the price sits, right? To a certain degree, like they they may True. want in that instance. Um, you know, they may have seen the market go to 1.57, but they they may just dig their heels and say, well, we've had it for 30 years. We're not moving unless you give me 1.6. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. not even a negotiation. We will not move out of this house unless someone gives us 1.6 million. You told me, Joe, when you listed it, you'd get me 1.7. I'm not selling for less than 1.6. That's a good compromise. Go back out and get me 1.6. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens oh, I'm a lot. Dealing, so I'm a lot dealing with a, a vendor right now who wants the price of 850,000 and the place is absolutely worth 820. And, but he's like, I want 850. And the, the agent's like, I'm at a loss. I don't know. I'm going to have to pull the listing. Like, so yeah. there is a point where some vendors are like, this is my price and I'm going to wait. I'm happy to wait another 10 years for the next cycle for it to get there, but I'm going to get my price. We had um, one of these then, last week in, in Miami, which was two side-by-side houses that the um, agent told me off-market we could buy it for three mil. And I said, okay, well, is that three mil or is it three mil? And he said, it's hard up three mil. Um, don't even bother trying to – like, don't even bother making – doing any DD on this unless you're going to pay three mil because it's like the owner's got more money than God. Uh, he's in Melbourne, couldn't care less, had them forever. It's three mil. Otherwise, I can't even get you in the door. So, so they're, they're, like, yeah. Yeah, and, so and you, that's where you, your question's you know leading up to understanding. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean it wasn't a good opportunity at three mil. If you could see value in it for the right fit for you, then it was potentially still a good buy. And, and that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a vendor, you know, that that may not let it go on the terms that you want. No matter how much due diligence you've done, no matter how much market knowledge you've got, even if you're still the highest bidder in the public auction, it may not be enough to buy it, and you may have to bid more. But you don't want to get caught in that initial game with the agent because. They're, if they're a good agent, they're always going to try and press you for another 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever on that auction, you know, in that moment on the auction floor. And most of that is just because um, they know you're emotional and it's worth having a shot at it to get more money out of you. Because if, you, if you're winning 100% of auctions, maybe sometimes you pay too much. Mate, there is no one in this world that wins 100% of auctions unless you pay the highest price every time. Now, no, I have the ultimate strategy to win an auction. Yeah, don't lose. Hand up in the air. Just keep yeah. it there. And then you never stupid, lose. Stupid, stupid thing to say. There's quite a few people in the industry that claim they've got 100% auction clearance. I did not. Uh, auction, I auction did success. not. 
<laughs> yeah, we both we both know the two people that, that we're referring to. Um, oh, there no. could not be a bigger lie in real estate. And if if it's the truth, then unfortunately they are paying absolute overs every time to buy a property because people are going to be emotionally bidding against them and get carried away. And if they're still beating those people, then they're paying an emotional premium in every auction. And why, if you're a buyer's agent, would you be queuing up to buy at auction anyway? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you compete against um, emotional end users if you don't have to because you're a professional? Like we would, we would, we do everything we possibly can to avoid bidding at auction because yeah. it's the wrong way to buy property. So you know, it, I, I just don't get it how people can claim that that's their point of difference is that they've got a hundred percent auction record. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, silliness. I've got a question that's come up here about that mo that three million you were just talking about. I'm surprised the agent disclosed that you need three mil minimum. Is that not unethical to the vendor? Well, the vendor told him you can come through and show buyers if you get me three mil. Yeah. So it's not, it, and it wasn't worth three mil. You know, if you looked at all the market stats, it was probably worth two eight to three mil. So the agent just said, well, you know, they're not going to budge unless you give them three mil. So I think it's not unethical. It's just it's, it's pretty. It's pretty much just putting a like it's like when you put a price ta price range on a property. Yeah. Like if 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 a price range is a million dollars, I mean, it's not the same. But if you put a but million dollars on a property and you go and offer eight hundred, what are the odds that price is going to get accepted? Like you, you're essentially just. You're not just, yeah, I mean. No, but yeah. he's, all he's saying is you need to be $3 million and above to yeah. be able to that's get like a guide. Or don't bother. Don't waste then, your time. Yeah, they're not going to sell it for less than $3 mil, So that's that's just what you have to do. I'd rather that honesty anyway. And that, that comes from building rapport with local agents. And I've dealt with him a lot. And he just gives it to me with both barrels. And that's what I'd, I'd, I want, right? Like, there's no point. Yeah. We, we, we kind of, we ended up doing our DD. And then we ended up buying, um, you know, the one that we talked about before at Palm Beach, the triplex, which we felt was better value. But you know, we still had a, we still did the research on it and, and thought it was worth exploring further. But at the end of the day, it just it didn't quite stack up. And he knew that anyway, which is why he told me that. He knew that yeah. it wasn't going to stack up and it was only going to be someone that really wanted that property um, and would be prepared to pay that slight premium. And that's why he disclosed that that's where the vendor was at. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, one of the, the, the next section, section I want to run through was understanding and talking to underquoting. It's an area that you're on, you're on, the project for um, you were talking specifically yeah. about underquoting, which was um, awesome. Awesome to see you up there. Um, but first we've got to run through our, um, our next ad and then we can start chatting about that. That'd be great. Sure. Let's do it. The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases, it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield, so you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk, and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. 
Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. I think, I think we actually made, um, we made Polizzi one of the, well, helped him get to one of the best sellers, I think, with one of his promotions. Yeah. He's a legend, but I just realized he's only done 1,200 deals compared to my three grand or 3,000. So, uh, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's on the L plates. <laughs> I think we need to update that. I think, I think that's what two years old. 1,205 now. Um, under quoting, so shall we, shall we define some terms or is it very clear what, what's un- what is under quoting and what, what is it? Yeah, well, I mean, underquoting, um, we've touched on it already, is when a agent uh, pitches to the vendor or the seller and tells them that they can expect to achieve a certain price and then goes to the buying public and quotes a figure that's outside of the legal 10% range. So I go and tell Joe that his house is worth a million bucks. Um, so yep. legally, I'm allowed to quote nine, 10 to a million. And uh, then I go and tell the market that it's 850 plus or 800 plus to drive um, traffic there and create value to people. That is underquoting. And unfortunately, as, as much as it uh, in the media is, you know, and from governments and governing bodies is, is meant to have been stamped out and, and being heavily policed, um, it just is a constant in um, many parts of Australia that we have to deal with. Um, and it's pretty easy to spot, to be honest as well, because if, you, if you're doing any accurate um, market research, you'll very quickly see the outliers that just don't make any sense. Um, and those are the properties that are always super busy in this type of market with lots of um, buyers coming through the open for inspection. They're the ones that get to auction day typically because the agent has got 20 plus interested parties, um, whereas everyone else has got one or two and they try and sell it prior because there's not enough buyer interest in the property. So you can really see which ones are underquoted. Um, there's, there's, uh, you know, the odd one that, that goes crazy uh, and that's out of everyone's control and I don't have any problem with that. The market will determine where the value sits at the end of the day. So I still like the auction method. I just don't like bait, um, you know, baiting people into the fight. Um, we'll talk about bait advertising separately. I shouldn't use the word bait here, but underquoting, you know, uh, creating a false, uh, you know, expectation for buyers that they should get involved in a property, spend money doing building and pest inspections or strata searches, contract reviews, and they've got absolutely no chance of buying the property. And what happens typically with those properties as well is the agents will field a number of pre-auction offers and none of those will be, um, uh, you know, communicated back to the market. They won't move the guide price. Um, and so there's a, there's a double banger really of underquoting and then um, not moving the guide and, and that's an illegal move as well. Yeah, yeah, the age old... Quote it low, watch it go, as they, as yeah. they say. Quote them high, watch them die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I had a friend that recently just sold sold his property. And uh, what was it? Was it 535 and he wanted 600? And he's like, you know, well, what? why aren't we putting it at 550? Sorry, what did I say? 535 and he was oh, expecting geez. 600. So you said 35. I was like, geez, he just Sorry. sold it for like 535. Why didn't you five, sell three, it? Five. I would have bought it. Bloody hell. And yeah, exactly. And it was valued at 600. And he ended up getting 610 or something crazy. 
Um, but it was exactly that. The the agents, he's like, oh, so we're going to go in at 580 or something like that. He's like, no, we're going 535 because we need, you remember how I was like, oh, that property had 36 people walking through it. Well, yeah, because there's 20 people that think they're actually going to be able to buy it. And then all of a sudden, the, the real buyers, the active buyers can see, oh, my gosh, there's 36 people here. When in actual fact, there's only 10 people that can actually afford to buy it that within in the range. They've had to drum up and pull those other 20 people in by having such a low price, thinking they're going to get it at 535 when they don't stand a chance and they're not a 600 buyer. Um, yeah, it's mental. So a lot of this and is real. To, yeah, it's totally real. And it happens uh, in a lot of states off, very often. Um, <laughs> Apparently, a big it happens. <laughs> all Melbourne properties are underquoted. <laughs> all. <laughs> all of them. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty broad sweeping statement. Um, but the 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 a lot of agents, like inexperienced agents, and also ex more experienced agents that are career agents and been at it for a long time, get nervous. Right? They don't want to give their seller bad news. They don't want to end up with a property that they have to stand at the door for ten weeks or twelve weeks, committing staff to open for inspections and not get a result. So the easiest way of doing that is to undercook it and make sure that you don't make a mistake, and then gently build up those buyers and their interest over the course of four weeks or however long it takes for you to get them to a position where you can match up the seller's expectations and get it sold. So it is it is rife. There's plenty of, like, there's a lot of talk about it. There's not a lot of talk about solutions for it. Um, so I'm all about transparency. I'd, I'd much rather the agency agreement price that, you know, I went in as an agent and told Joe as the seller that I think I can get you nine, 10 to a million. That... 10% range, I think, should be on realestate.com or domain as the advertised range so that there's absolutely no reason to second guess it. Like all the paperwork says 9, 10 to a million. I've I've shown that to all the buyers. And at the end of the day, it's not going to affect it. The, the market will determine where the, where the property runs to. Um, it's So if I don't think it's going to change anything really. It's just going to be keeping everyone on an honest, even keel if we completely disclose what we told the seller. And at the end of the day, the seller can set their expectations wherever they want. So, you know, if buyers come through and they know it's nine, 10 to a million and it gets to a million and 30 and the vendors at 1.6, well, that's the vendors problem. They're not going to sell. So, I, I, you know, the vendors can, it's their home. They can do whatever they want with it. But I just think whatever the agent told the vendor and whatever the vendor was prepared to bring the property to market at needs to be disclosed. It's, it's interesting about the Melbourne comment because I thought Melbourne had that thing where they had to have the, the price range based on comparable sales. So is that, yeah. wouldn't that... Have the state of information. Melbourne's terrible, terrible with other game that yeah, system, probably, yeah, they, they definitely can game the system. Um, and But no one checks those things. I remember I was watching on yeah. TikTok. It was, I think it was called Shit Properties of, of Melbourne. And the guy went into the statement of information and it was like... A four-bedroom property, and then all of the quotes were two and three-bedroom properties that were unrenovated. And this place was fully renovated and beautiful for better. And it's like, well, that's yeah. not comparable. But they don't even look at those. <laughs> look at the comparables. And I think a, a lot of it is there's there's ways of gaming the system where um, they don't. You know, you've got to disclose the vendor's expectations if you know um, the price because you're meant to ask them that. But if you don't ask the vendor what their you know, selling price is, um, you never knew, right? So the vendor can move their expectations and, and jump the price up way outside of the market estimate that you told the owner. So there's just ways of gaming it that agents in, in Victoria tell us that they're able to get around that system. 
Um, in Sydney, I think we've spoken about this before, but, um, you know, one agent who I know really well told me, um, you know, ongoing, like he's told me about three times in the last six weeks that uh, unless they quote basically 30% below where they've told the vendor, they're going to get no traction in the market, no open for inspection numbers through, and it just won't sell. So they just need to quote these ridiculously known, low numbers to generate any buyer interest. And then they've got to create this, you know, false market of other buyer interest to push the people up to a level where they can get their vendor to get in the game and try and piece together a deal. So it's it's just, it's, a, it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. Agents was need that, to be was that more for, was that one of the ones that I sent you previously? The the one over in no. the eastern suburbs? No, no. no. Well, it's in the eastern suburbs and kind of oh. southeast um, that oh, particular yeah. one. But uh, yeah, I'll tell you off air who it was. Oh, you, yeah, you know the details of it. But um, that's by the by. The problem is, um, you know that that this is just rife, <laughs> and the agents need to work harder by being honest with the uh, owners up front. And, and then everybody needs to be transparent. But it's it's a vicious circle because I don't know what your friend did when they were selling Joe, but so often, um, you know, when I was an agent, we'd say to the client, uh, you know, this is where we think the property is worth, nine, 10 to a million bucks, for example. <clears throat> and um, and they'd say, okay, great. Well, you know, we've, we've had such a shit fight, you know, with trying to buy and everyone was under quoting and the rest of it was so hard. You know, now it's our turn to sell. What do we need to do to get it sold? I'm like, okay, well, you know, we could quote the legal range, but look, that's, that's not going to work. Like, you know, we know that every other agent's going to put their property 10% below ours and we're never going to have any people through the door. Um, we'll, we'll just do the same. Like, you know, it's it basically buyers hate it, but then when they often become sellers, they need to, they want to play the same game. It just goes this vicious mm. circle. I found mm -hmm. it was horrible as an agent in the middle, often um, trying to do the right thing. I'm sure I did plenty of bad things over my 20 years, which is why I got out of it. I hated being an agent, but um, but often the the vendors would become you know just just as bad and just apply the same negative tricks to ensure their property. I don't I don't, I, I don't want to dunce me, but I'm okay doing it to others, right? I mean, yeah. Totally. Why, why why would I feel bad if it's not if I'm doing it to others? But that's yeah. that's interesting. So do, do you want do you want to throw to some examples of of both the underquoting? Um, and just some general, we won't mention specific property addresses, but um, do you want well, to? Yeah, I've got a really good one from from the weekend. So um, it went to auction on Saturday, obviously on the market for a month or so. Um, guide price was 1.3 million plus, which was advertised online. Uh, yep. as in a house in Sydney. Um, yep. We did our market estimate for our client and we thought it was worth, you know, 1.6, maybe even slightly higher than that all day of the week based on lots of comparable evidence. Yeah, lots of comparable evidence that was relevant right now and it was really easy just looking online to see where the prices sit. Um, we offered, because because we didn't, he, he, the agent said to us, uh, look, we've got buyer interest, but we haven't had any offers. We've got no feedback. And I know that's horseshit. Um, but I just thought, well, in this instance, I'll just take a, you know, a punt and we'll start lower than we than we think we can, uh, that think we can expect to pay because we might just get lucky. So I offered 1.36 unconditionally on contract in week one. And he said, great offer, really good offer, but um, we've got 21 contracts out. I was like, ah, oh, okay, so this <laughs> massive underquote. Of right, course so, you do a yeah, 1.3. Like, oh, okay, cool. So anyway, we went away. We, we, we chased a few other properties for the client and um, he um, still really wanted this house. And, and it was still well below um, his target price and our market estimate. So I went back and I used my story of, you know, we've got another property, blah, blah, blah. We need to action this quickly. I'm going to go. I actually said to him in this instance, we've bought two other properties. 
I've managed to save him 100 grand across two other properties. He really likes this one. So we're going to put another 90, you know, what I think I said 90 grand. We put another 90 grand on top of it and we went to 1.45. So he's quoting 1.3. I'm now above the 10% range. So week two of the campaign. And he just came back with a flat, no thanks. No, we've got 21 um, you know, interested parties. We're just going to go to auction. Didn't move the guide price at all. Comes to auction day, um, my, I said to my client, this, this is going to fly past where you want to spend based on the fact they, mm. they didn't even give us the time of day at 1.45. Anyway, he was on the phone uh, as a phone bidder. It got to 1.55 and he hung up and just gave up on it. Um, I since found out that that was the one that went to 1.57 under auction conditions, passed in and then sold yesterday for 1.6. So 1.3 million guide sold for 1.6. So that's just mm. straight out under quoting. Um, you know, there was tons of comparables to back it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it so doesn't what, have to be. What can we do? What can we do as a, as a buyer? Like, I mean, can I, do I just copy an email into REI and SW and say, hey, just, just here's my offer of 1.45. It's just been rejected. Please update your guide. Like, what do we do? Could do well, that, actually. That would work out. That would probably work pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the problem is, right, I've, I've spoken to um, to Consumer Affairs in Victoria and Office of Fair Trading in New South Wales about this when I was doing the stuff for the project. And um, what you find is that if... So I rang, I rang Office of Fair Trading in New South Wales and said, okay, this has just happened to me, not about this particular deal, but previous ones that were bad like this. This has just happened to me. What's the process? And they said, well, it can take up to eight weeks, Um you can make an anonymous complaint and I'm like, yeah, but hang on. It's not anonymous, is it? Because you're going to ring the agent or email the agent and say, did you knock back an offer from Scott Agate of 1.45 million on the 17th of October at 10.16 a.m.? Uh, yeah, we did. Well, uh, it's not anonymous at all. So who's, who's going to get like, who's not going to get any more off-market or pre-market listings or any help from that agent? From, from any Agate. agents in the area probably. Yeah, yeah agents exactly. Are going to talk. And, and, and as a business, for me going around and doing that, it's not great for Hollow House's brand if I'm going around poo-pooing on all the agents. So unfortunately, it's, it's – and also if it takes eight weeks to get a response or up to eight weeks, you've already lost that opportunity anyway. Like what are you going to gain out of it? There's no motivation for sellers to – I mean for buyers to sit there and fill out all the paperwork and ruin their own reputation really to get what. And then I think in the last 12 months there was 30 fines or something ridiculous. I don't know, whatever the number was. And the fines didn't break like ten grand or two and a half grand, or whatever. The average fee mm. in Sydney is thirty-two thousand dollars. Like, unless you start taking the 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 way that it needs to be done is it should be a three-strike policy. I reckon. First one is you lose the full commission, and you get a three-month ban. You know, if you're prosecuted from being an agent, the owner also gets a fine equivalent of what the commission was. So they get a thirty-two thousand dollar fine as well because the owner knows. The owner has to sign off on what they're, what they're doing. It's all the paperwork is there. If the owner knows they're going to get fined, the equivalent of the fee, do you reckon the owners are going to let their agents underquote? They're not. And the agents yeah. aren't going to do it if, they've got a, a, if they know they're going to lose their fee. They do it a second time, they lose their fee, the, agent gets, the, the owner gets fined and they get a six-month ban and they do it a third time and it's a life ban. I reckon you do that and the agents are going to stop underquoting altogether because it's just their, their livelihood their earning capacity is gone if they get caught. And if you actually police that and, and uh, you know, and you're stringent with it, it's going to have a really big impact on the property market, but they just won't do it for some reason. I don't know why they won't do it, but 
it's, it's perhaps some lobbying i'd say has has happened i'm sure there's there, yeah. there'd be something there'd be a reason for sure yeah 100 yeah. percent. this has been a very wide-ranging conversation um and I've, I've i've enjoyed it um anyone that's got any questions about any of the topics that we've covered off around negotiating around uh underquoting or anything chuck them in the comment section while um, even, while they come through even thoughts about the the, the, the markets because scott we we have somebody here who's, yeah actually he, he said yeah. i thought he was only transacting about sort of roughly sort of double digit or at least double digit properties per week and you're looking to keep on growing that so i mean you you, you are probably somebody with more information than 99.9 percent of even sort of out buy like even the big buyers agencies that they'd probably be lucky mm -hmm. to buying you're buying 10 plus of 20 plus properties a week so i think the market intel that scott can bring um around the around the country is is just fantastic so ask those questions we negotiate on lots of properties for sure. So we'll have lots of insights. I mean, the other thing that we were going to talk about that was part of that and the second part of that, and we can jump into any of the questions if you want quickly, was bait advertising. I'll give you a yeah, real yeah, quick yeah, example exactly. how that works and why it's different to underquoting. So the property that we bought in Palm Beach that I discussed earlier was advertised openly at 1.4 million. So it came online at 1.4. We did our market estimate and thought it was safe to pay up to 1.575. What happened with that is we offered point. 385 and it was rejected on the thursday before the first saturday open for inspection sight unseen because it was three tenants so it was impossible to get in with three sets of tenants before the saturday open um that got rejected i offered one for the asking price that got rejected i offered one point uh someone else offered 1.42 sight unseen that got rejected on the thursday on the friday we went to 1.45 it got rejected and the reason it got rejected, and I wanted to stop bidding because we were bidding against ourselves and making that cardinal um, sin that I talked about, is, uh, but we knew how good an asset was and how far below market value it was. But what the agent was doing was pricing it at a point where he knew he was just going to get tons of interest. So turn up on Saturday at the open for inspection, he had over 30 people inspecting it, tons and tons and tons of um, viable, um, you know, interested parties. And then it got on, on the first open for inspection day to one5 so straight away it jumped from you know 1385 my offer 24 hours later basically already at 15 so 100 grand over the asking price fast forward 4 days the owners stuffed up they tried to um, get tricky with the terms and conditions with the buyer the buyer walked the agent called me back we ended up renegotiating and buying it for less than we offered um, and we bought it in the in the one fours um, at, at yeah way below market value 125 grand below what we thought thought was market value and 50,000 wow. below what we I was that was under offer the, the, the day before. So if you hang in the in the market and you you know you go back for a second bite of these things, sometimes you can get some really good deals for unknown reasons. I don't know how they managed to stuff that up. The sellers they just got greedy, but that's bait advertising and it's not illegal. They put it at a price that they knew would generate tons of inquiry, and that competition would make it easy for them to drive people from one four north of that, and they were able to do that really quickly. So that, that's a really good. Um, you know, price positioning trick that, that um, you know, good agents that know what they're doing are going to deploy to get a result they want really fast. Right. So that makes sense. Right? Yeah, so it's just like underquoting, but not for an auction. It's just... Well, it's, so underquoting is illegal. Price positioning like that or, you know, baiting someone into it like that is, is not actually illegal. They, they, they would have they told the owner, you know, one four to one four five four or whatever and they wouldn't be lying like they've done the right thing there but the mm -hmm. way to get heaps of interest in that property really fast is to price it at that lower level 
when they knew yeah. that was going to generate tons of interest. So the danger with that is a lot of buyers will walk away thinking, hey, I'm 100 grand over the asking price. It's, I'm paying too much. But really, at 100 grand over the asking price, you're still 75 grand below what we thought it was worth, where all the comparable yeah. sales were. So it's, it, you've got to fall back on market value and, and, again, understanding market depth to not get burnt in that situation and walk away or not get carried away and end up bidding way too much in that situation. But that is actually not illegal doing it versus underquoting, which we discussed, is a really bad um, so is, is yeah. the key difference where you're where you're um, where you sort of where you quoting it significantly under? So for example, that property if they quoted at one point two five and it, then it sold for one point four five, that would be considered under quoting. Yeah, because yeah. they told the owner one price and quoted a different price to the market. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm, that makes sense. There's heaps of there's heaps of questions around how do you research or the period to research comparable sales in the current market. It doesn't really change for me. You're looking for, um, you know, as we just said, if you're looking in a built-up area, there's normally tons of comparable sales. If you can't find direct comparable sales within, say, three to six months, um, then that's that's a problem. Then, you know, you, you, you might want to look to get a valuation done, an independent valuation, if you're struggling to get a um, comparable sale. But I would be calling other agents and getting their opinions. I'd also be calling all the properties that are under offer that are similar to it and understanding that they haven't sold yet, but what are the real-time prices people are being paid, uh, people are paying. And I'd also be attending every auction you possibly can in your core market of interest and yep. seeing what live prices are being paid or where the bidding stops if they pass in. If you do that, then yeah. you'll, you'll find comparable sales really easily or you should do, you should do. Yeah, yeah. And you just got to kind of approach the agent. When you ask oh, what's under offer, they're generally going to say, oh, it's you know it's a live offer right now. I can't give you the information. So you really have to be quite chummy and pally yeah. to be able to pull yeah. that information out of them. So you got to be nice yeah, and respectful. Look, they're not going to give you that yeah. easily. I won't hold you to it, Joe, but, um, you know, my estimate is, you know, probably sold around that, you know, 700 to 720. Am I far off? No, mate, you're not far off. It just went just above that, touch above that. You know, or, yeah. you know, no, it actually, it's, it's actually just below that. They, they might not give you the figure, but they're going to probably give you a, you know, pretty close to it. So you just, again, ask questions, be nice, and um, you'll probably get the information. And if it's gone unconditional, most agents will just tell you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Once it's unconditional, then they'll give you a bit more. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to stress is, um, the value that you talk about, like when you're talking about negotiating and getting the property pre-open and pre-before everyone else in the market sees it, that is so valuable. Some of the best deals that I've gotten, like I, I purchased a property for $430,000 because the, it wasn't a local agent. He just he was from out of town. It was worth close to five, uh, four ninety to 500000 So a massive difference just because we were able to negotiate it before you getting it to the open. So if you can do these tricks and tactics that Scott's talking about, it's going to help you so much. If you can get, if you know what true market value is and you know it's lower than, you know, it's he's got it on there for 500, but you know it's going to be at 550 um, You and you can secure it at, you feel you can secure it at 530, then do it. You can secure it at 520, yep. make it happen and try and get it done. I like I like this one. What's the best? I, I don't know if there are any best books, but um, you start you're starring these things. I think you are, Joe. Um, are there any books, or is it just kind of learned experience? Is it a good course that you guys know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, to to answer the question, I've never read a book on negotiation. Um, yeah, you know, a property negotiation book in my life. So I don't yeah. I don't know. Uh, any kind of published book like that that's going to give you these tips and tricks. It, negotiation is a learnt skill. 
even if you um, kind of, you know, read it uh, till the cows come home, unless you're out there practicing it, it's very difficult to um, master it. It's a lot about, you know, learning on the go about what works when you say certain things at certain times. Um, in saying that, though, I've tried to, Joe just joked about it then, I've tried to uh, get everything out of my head, my 28 years of experience, and put it all on paper so people can at least understand the nuts and bolts of negotiation and also the games that you're going to have to play and oh, against, played against you by agents. And um, that's the Get Buy Ready course, which you guys have got a $500 discount to. So if anyone wants to do my 44-lesson course, it will take you from finance ready to buy ready, then that would be a great starting point to understand how to buy and, really well. And I think to, to, to back up or, or support your your answer there, you, you, I don't know those who have been watching this whole session, but you saw when, when, when Scotty put the pressure on me about auction, about sort of saying, would I pay an extra 20K? And I, I had to stop and think about it a little bit because I've, I've sort of, well, so without actually going and, and having many, many, like hundreds of conversations with real estate agents, it is hard to pick that up. And and I sort of have probably a little, maybe a touch more savvy than what than our first conversation, Scott. Um, feel free to disagree with that. But I'm thinking no, maybe a touch you, more. I'd say, you, you know, you are highly educated in this space, but... Um, education is one thing, but it, you know, repetition in the field is another, right? Like it's, yeah. and, and that's why I think that it, you, you, you're going up against skilled professionals who train weekly with scripts and dialogues to extract an emotional premium out. You, you need to be prepared. And the first step to getting prepared is understanding the buying process um, and, and getting educated around that yourself. So you at least know how the game works. Um, and then in that course, there's lots of you know, tricks and tips and things that I've put in there to, to give everyone a fighting chance if they want to go it alone and, and, and do their best job. Yeah, absolutely. And a massive discount on it. And we're talking 400, what is it? It's usually $1,000. Yeah, 995 and you've got a $500 discount. So it's $495. And yeah, awesome. this is the crazy thing. Like this is one of the biggest assets of your life. Oh, um, yeah. So you should definitely think about and if you're not using a buyer's like if you're using a buyer's agent you, you may not need to do the course i um teach like in my business everyone now watches your course scott the, the part of it is to go through that course and go through it and watch it and um because it's so valuable so i can't i can't promote that yeah, enough even though we're doing uh we're doing all the work for those clients as well in our business we still get everyone to do the course because educated buyers make the best buying decisions so they'll find better assets they'll do it Very faster um, they'll true. get to properties before anyone else they won't get ripped off they know what prices to yeah. pay so even if you're outsourcing it to someone to analyze and negotiate whether that's using a buyer's agent or, or hello house for example um, you still should know how the system works and and get you know a really good insight into that so you can get the best possible result yeah, very good, good, good point. I thought, I thought um, this one was interesting. Do you find unrenovated properties are easier to buy in this market? And what strategies would you use on these types of properties in this market? I don't think it makes any difference really whether it's renovated or unrenovated. Um, I think it just comes down to, you know, how much demand is in that market for that type of asset. And some areas, unrenovated properties will sit there forever. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but if you're buying in Paddington in Sydney, then the unrenovated properties will be more popular than the renovated properties. So as people want to put their mark on on a, on a home and have got the capital to, to deploy to do that. So it depends what market you're in. I don't think it, it's any easier to buy in this market, generally speaking. 
Um, what strategies would I use on these type of properties in this market? Uh, again, nothing changes for me. Like it's still reversing the fear of loss using leverage, um, and it's controlling uh, the negotiation as best I can in, in in the shortest possible time by using speed to move through the buying process and get the result that I want. Yeah, I think that because the, the the thing that people may not consider is is that everybody else is thinking they're going to go out there and get a bargain as well. Because they're like, oh, they, they turn on news, they, they jump on news.com.au and they sort of say, oh, you know, property market's crashing. So a lot of buyers thinking, well, I'm just going to go and sort of pick up a bargain in, in, in this in this area. So a lot of people, have, buyers have potentially adjusted their own expectations, which then um, may not make it necessarily easy to buy. I can only speak for our clients um, that are out there trying to find their own properties. And I, I'll ask Joe the same question, but... I don't think it's any easier. It's not any, it, it, the negotiation for me is is easier in terms of, yeah. um, you know, you, if you find these motivated sellers, then the fear in the media is doing a lot of heavy lifting for me in terms of my, negotiating me good outcomes. But it's it's not any easier to find um, properties than in a, yeah, maybe then in that boom market was crazy, but that's once in a, you know, blue moon that we have a market that's, that's that insane like the last 18 months or 12 months. But a normal, you know, growth market, um, I think it's probably pretty similar. I don't know if you disagree or agree, Joe, but... No, I, I agree. I mean, good quality properties are not lasting long in the market. Like, oh, they're just... And, and they don't come up... Like, it, all it is is good quality stock. And good quality stock hasn't increased and gotten faster. Um, it's still as small. There's still hard to get good quality stuff that comes up on the market. So, um, yeah, it hasn't... It's buying crap easy you can easily buy crap um you, just you can, you can buy crap estate. easy in a, in a in a hot market as well but it's yeah, hey, yeah. and that's lot. that's that's where i like the analogy of a dartboard right now it used to be just throw a dart and everywhere was a bullseye it was all red now that has now shrunken back down the dartboard has shrunk it down to what is actually a bullseye but those assets still don't hang around long like you still have to utilize all of these tools and tactics that Scott's been talking about to, to secure them um, because there's just not that many of them and people know what value is and they know what good quality is. But the wide dartboard that you speak about is a false economy. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. You throw it yeah, exactly. and hitting it is a false economy because people think, Oh, I've made 50 grand in the last six months or a hundred grand uplift in the last nine months, or whatever. So did every other Tom, Dick and Harry across the whole country, like exactly to your yeah. point. But you still may have bought a dud asset that's not going to appreciate at the same pace as those A-grade assets. And the reason why those there's not a lot of those on the market is people that own or occupy those properties, which is traditionally where those best assets are and owner-occupied majority areas, don't want to leave because it's a nice street. It's a nice aspect. It's a nice house. It's a safe area. It's got good transport links. It's, it's a good place to live. It's fundamental. Yeah, where am I going to go? <laughs> Yeah, so, so they tend to hold those properties a lot longer. So to uproot those owners and to get those opportunities um, is, is going to be competitive often. Yeah. Mm. Did, you, did you start this question, Joe, or did somebody else? Yeah, just, yeah I just started the, all, the, all the relevant ones. Because did you think this was a relevant one? Why, why did we start this Well, one? do you buy because of inflation or not buy because of rate rises? Like, it's a good question to ask. How does the That's economy eight, affect what you think about your buying decision? Um, that that's what I thought was it would be worthwhile to talk to that because we are hearing about rate rises, we are hearing about inflation, we are hearing about people bricking it and getting scared, um, and the market shifting and all of this. Like, how does this affect the buying that you do? One for your personal, 
and two, your thoughts on the stuff that your clients are buying? Well, I think all I can talk about on that point is, is personal, how it impacts me, you know, when I go to transact properties because everyone's going to have their own view of it and I can't really talk people. I don't want to talk people in or out of transactions based on what's happening in the media. So I always fall back on you buy property when you can afford to buy it and when the time's right for you financially. And I fall back on my gut feel um, or my, you know, working knowledge of the property market as best I can. Uh, that gives me confidence that I know where that there's going to be demand long-term in the areas that I want to buy in. So, you know, mm -hmm. I have a different strategy to a lot of the people in this group, as we've discussed many times mm -hmm. before. Like I love flipping properties for the thrill of it. And I enjoy that. I like buying where I, you know, where I live from a lifestyle perspective. So I put a lot of money into my own principal place of residence. That's not for everyone. I totally get it. There's lots of ways to make money, whatever floats your boat. So I never really dictate, um, what clients do to, to suit me. It's always about them. But I think long-term, I'm confident in the areas that I'm buying in that demand is going to be high. So I don't get caught up reading the news. I just, like, the rates go up, rates go down, inflation goes up, it'll it'll probably come down, right? Like, I, I can afford to buy the house that, that we want to live in. If I can't afford it, I won't buy it. Yeah, it's as simple as that. So I, I don't try and time the market like that. Um, you know, I try to buy assets that are undervalued that I can um, build in, you know, manufacture equity um, and I can do that in a down market or I can do it in an up market. You know, we, we talked about my purchase of the development site in Mermaid Waters, Mermaid Beach um, last year that, you know, in the hottest market that I'd ever seen as a buyer, um, I managed to find four potential development sites off market in one week. Like there is opportunities everywhere if you know how to find them. Now um, the overalls that Joe yeah. talks about in the show is quote. Yeah, you can work. find these things. And, and there's plenty of those in a down market. There's plenty of them in a flat market and there's plenty of them in an up market. So yeah, you just got to work out when the right time for you to buy is. 100%. Well, let's go um, with one more question. If anyone else has any other questions, there was a good question here that I thought was um, worthwhile bringing up. Would you approach agents differently when a property is listed for auction versus for sale versus by negotiation or versus offers over X? Um, good question. A lot probably not. Is I'm just trying to think about it. Um, probably not really. I mean, it depends what state you're in because um, <laughs> if they're allowed to quote price at auction, then all four of those are, are pretty much the same thing for me. Like if it's yeah. offers over or a guide price at auction, it's the same thing or buy negotiation. Um, so really what I want to determine is what we role played before. Um, what are the comparable? What's the best comparable? What will your client sell at? What terms does your client want? and then try and determine how much other interest is in the property. And I want to get there as soon as possible to knock out all the buyer interest. And I don't care or listen to the agent if they say, you know, we've got to go to auction or they're not ready to sell. I just push on and we make our offer. And if we're not successful, we just move on to another property and we'll come back to this one if we're not successful elsewhere, trying to find a better option. Yep. So we try and do it on our terms, no matter what. It's kind of like re reversing the fear of loss. Yep, that's a key part of it, isn't it? In negotiation strategy that I always talk about. So, yeah, we try to get all that information out of the, the selling agent or the private seller as quick as possible, make our decision, make strike while the iron's hot and then move on if it's not meant to be. I don't, yeah. 
I don't know if we've actually spoken about this, but what are, what are some of the ways we may have spoken about? So sorry if we have, but what are some of the ways that you actually reverse your your fear of loss? Is it having multiple properties on the go is probably the key one, I imagine? Yeah, leveraging another property yeah. um, and using that for time really is the key one for me that, that yeah. we do. Um, and then you know we use the other property that I'm using as leverage as a as a um, comparable sales evidence, even if it doesn't exist, you know, I might say something along the lines of we're already off a under offer down the road off market. You know, it's a three bed, similar land size, very, very similar condition, you know, a great street. Um, you know, we've got that under offer at 1.62. There's just no way I can pay 1.62 on this one because, you know, the land's smaller or it's not in a good location. So therefore, you know, that I'm hanging my hat on that result kind of down the, down the road and it doesn't even exist. Do you know what I mean? So mm. I'm trying to, put the vendor under pressure with a property that they don't even know about. And, and the agents will, you know, some inexperienced agents like that will go back and say, you know, pretty much feed that dialogue back to the vendor and say, look, they're, they're comparing it with another property they're already under offer at and it just doesn't stack up compared to that one. I can't get them to budge above this price. They're saying to me that's their walkaway number and they're out and they need to make a decision by tomorrow. So, you know, you either have to say yes now or, you know, they're, they're going to be gone. So you just instantly reverse the pressure. Yeah. And what I love about that is you are giving the vendor, you're giving the agent ammunition to use against his own vendor. And he is going to use that because he wants to sell the property at the end of the day. He is worried about losing you and uh, any information, any val any ammunition you can give him is, is ideal. Um, yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And we, we've spoken about this before, but um, I'll run through it really quickly, like a little role play of, of that. Um, Cause I know we're probably short of time now, but if you, if I, Okay, cool. If, if we make an offer, right? So let's say that, you, you know, we think it's worth around a million bucks and I come in and say, um, okay, Joe, we really love your property, but um, we've got a budget of uh, 980. We can't get any more from the bank, um, but we'll give you all 980. We really love the property and we, we're so excited about it. It's our first home. We'd love to buy your home, but the best we can do is 980. Okay, can you put that to your vendor? And you go, yep, okay, sure. And then I come along at Huller House and say, Joe, um, you know, we're, you know, give you the same spill. We're already offer, under offer on another property, blah, blah, blah. We don't see value on this property because of this comparable, this comparable, this comparable, this square meter rate, blah, 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 blah. All the stats around the, the market because I know the market really well and I want to be very well educated on what's happening in that local area. And because of all these reasons, um, we can only get to 980. Um, we, this, I just don't see value beyond that point. We can actually spend 1.2 million. We've got a much bigger budget, but we, there's just better buying opportunities in the market beyond 980. So can you put the offer forward to your client that it's our absolute best in the final walk away of 980? And Joe, look, as I said to you a week ago, we're actually already under offer on that other property and I need an answer by like tonight or tomorrow morning at the latest, mate. You know it's not me, it's the other owners, but I need that answer quickly. You're going to go back to the owner and say those two offers, right? You're going to word for word say exactly the same thing. The owner's going to say to the first offer, Joe, thanks the first home buyers so much, but they can't afford our home. But thanks so much for your offer. And the second one they'll treat as, okay, all right, well, um, we really need to make a decision here. And they've given us all these reasons why our home is not worth X, you know, based on that comparable, that comparable, that comparable. All right, well, then we're really seriously going to have to entertain this offer if we want to be genuinely, you know, selling a property in this market. So it's just two very different ways. And you've got to give the agent that information because they're just going to go and convey that market straight back to the owners. So if you can put a lot of, that goes back to your auction story before, 
putting more color around it will help you when you're negotiating rather than it's, telling them yeah. it's your budget. It's, kind of about that, it's about that confidence as well because if, if you show you actually have some understanding of what you're doing, I think it works well in, in most parts of life. It's not yeah, just we're dealing with an experienced buyer. They, they've been in the market for some time. They've looked at their offers of properties uh, and they don't see value beyond X for your property we want to do. Yeah. Speaking of experience. The question yep. is, do you adjust language depending on how experienced an agent is and therefore which strategy or language you adapt to? I definitely change my language depending on the experience of the agent, 100%. Um, and I will be matey-matey with some agents where I think that and to the point with other agents um, and it really will depend on the level of experience and how open and how strong a communicator they are as well. So I definitely have to learn to adapt on the run to the right circumstances. Um, and that is, that's the big part, Brian, of the learnt skill of negotiating, to be able to be a chameleon and adapt on the run, depending on who you've got in front of you to get the best possible result each time. In terms of the latter part of that question, the second part, which strategy language to adapt to, it's horses for courses like, yeah, it depends on who I've got and what the circumstances of the deal are. Oh, geez. The questions keep coming. People are loving this. No, the same, that's the same question. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is buy, sell, buy property now or purchase price, I believe. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is, no, is somebody no, practicing no, their no, negotiation no, skills? Sorry. What strategies do you adopt when negotiating with vendors directly, like for sale by owners or property oh. now? Do you find it different dealing with agents than dealing with directly with oh them. yeah that'd be fun i don't think I've, I've i haven't dealt with two i haven't done a deal with a vendor but i can imagine it's a bloody nightmare like i want to deal with an agent <laughs> yeah well yes and no um it can be harder because they're just hell-bent on um their way or the highway which is why they haven't employed an agent because they think their shit don't stink and they can do it themselves they're pro um so that can be difficult if you get those clients but also it is almost my dream opportunity to get one-on-one -on -one with the seller direct because it's where the best buying opportunities are if you get the right seller. I'll give you an example of this. When the market was absolutely out of control hot on Southeast Queensland, um, you know, this time last year, I had a client that we'd been um, working with for probably three to six months, single mum, buying from interstate, awesome human, beautiful, beautiful person. And she was really struggling with her little boy to find something. Um, the border was closed. Every property that we were going to um, bid on her behalf had like 25, 40 buyers on the same day on contract offering. This was kind of um, between Brisbane and the Gold Coast, which was just super hot and the prices were running crazy. We found a property for her that was a private seller and she had um, a price of 580 plus on it. And we thought, okay, this is easily going to go to 650. It may even go higher than that because it was worth it. And my client said, I'll pay 650 all day of the week. We love the house, great spot, get it done. I rang the owner, the private seller, and I said, um, hi, you know, nice, nice, nice. How are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Um, what buys the property? What would secure it today for you? And she said, oh, 580. I said, great, we'll give you 580. What terms would you like? Oh, 40 days, 40, whatever. Yeah, okay, cool. We'll do that. Great. So we've got a deal. Oh, of course, darling. That's great if you'll pay 580. Done. Like we signed it, like we got the contract done as quickly as possible. We saved $70,000 by asking one question to an owner that just had absolutely no idea. No idea. She but they saved on the marketing fees, Scott. They saved on the marketing fees. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. just crazy. So 
it, you know, if you get one-on-one with a seller and you, and you can ask some of these experienced loaded questions, you can get some amazing results. But some of the sellers, by nature of them going in alone, as I said, can be very pig-headed and hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And often they'll just sit there for months and months and months because yeah. they're not in a hurry. They're not motivated to sell. And that's why the agents yeah. don't take those listings because they know the seller's never going to move the market. Yeah. Yeah, they want that. They want that high figure. Scotty, this has been an unreal session. Thank you very much. Where can people learn more about you and unpack some of these uh, lessons and learn a little bit more about Scotty Agate and Hello House? Yeah, probably the easiest thing is to um, follow me on LinkedIn because I write a lot of um, blogs on the industry and a lot of things that are happening at the coalface. So if you're interested in following what's happening in the market, you can get that on hellohouse.co, our website, or follow me on LinkedIn. And as I always say here as um, part, of the, part of the sponsorship team, you know, my phone... It, number is everywhere people can always ring me or send me a message i'm happy to help you whether it's paid or unpaid if you've got questions challenges whatever on the run and you need some advice i'll always give you my honest advice and fast so lean on me if you need to and um, yeah happy to help as always you've also got a facebook group as well we've got a facebook group and we and to be honest we only really want people in there if you're serious about buying property so um, you know, if you can get to Facebook, get buyer ready. We, we're not interested in building thousands of people in there. We're interested in working with people that are, that want to buy property and learn how to do it really well. So if that's you and you and you identify with that, then jump into the get buyer ready um, community. Jeff's in there, and, and you saw our our live that we do every Wednesday. We answer lots of our customers' questions and people, and it is really about adding as much value as we can and unpacking everything that we do at the coalface. So happy to share that with anyone that's interested. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for thanks for all your time, and thanks for just being a being a great supporter and, and adding value to the group, Scott. And and I'm excited to see what 2020 because we're only literally about eight about eight weeks till Christmas. Just crazy. crazy. Actually, maybe not even that. Yeah, seven or eight weeks. It's just crazy times. Eight weeks till the snow in Japan, boys. I'm pumped. Oh, jeez, that sounds fun. Yep. Be- yeah, all good. Well, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. I love being on the show. So yeah, if you've got any other questions, I look forward to answering them. And um, yeah, have a good night, guys. Make it happen. Let's go buy a property. See you later, guys. Let's yeah. do it. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together.